Welcome to the Citizen Bitcoin Podcast. I'm Brady and I'm sharing my journey learning Bitcoin, hoping it makes yours a bit easier. How's it going out there, all my Bitcoiners from all around the world? Thanks for joining me again today here at the dawn of the Bitcoin Renaissance. Today, we sit down with Pratik Gorha. But first, we're checking in with Swan. Swan is as easy as it gets. Just one, auto fund USD. Two, you auto stack that BTC. Three, you can auto withdraw your BTC. And that's it. You can use my ref link to get started, swanbitcoin.com slash Brady, and get $10 of Bitcoin dropped into your account after you start auto sacking with Swan. Speaking of our referral program, we want you to join the Swan Force. You can sign up at swanbitcoin.com slash enlist. You'll get a custom landing page with your avatar and a message at the top welcoming your referrals to Swan. You'll earn 0.25% of every Swan plan purchase your referrals make for three years. And they get $10 of BTC dropped into their account, so everybody wins. You don't need to be in the United States to join Swan Force either, so you can sign up US-based customers from anywhere in the world. We'll pay you in sats wherever you are. On the other podcast I host, Swan Signal, I'm really loving the format. If you haven't checked it out yet, please check it out. We broadcast live every Wednesday on Twitter at Swan Bitcoin and on YouTube, youtube.com slash Swan Bitcoin. The YouTube channel's really looking beautiful. There's also uh, highlight clips from the episodes there. More plans coming uh, coming up soon for that YouTube channel. Go to youtube.com slash Swan Signal and subscribe today. All right. Today, we sit down with Pratik Gora, an economist, professor, and autodidact. Pratik has written some of the most underappreciated Bitcoin content out there. His writing runs the gamut from price cycle analysis to contract theory to philosophy. In this one, we discuss all three. Be sure to check out the show notes for a link to Pratik's Medium page and dive in for some great reading. Here we go. Yeah, so let's just get let's start with the background on why you're into Bitcoin. Uh, you know your your work history and what led you you know to discover this wonderful new technology that we're also enamored with. Right, right. Um, it's a good question, you know, and I, I like this question very much because everybody has such interesting answers to how they came to it. And what what I really like about it is that sort of like all roads point to Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I did this, that, and the other, and then I found Bitcoin, and all, all of this, that, and the other is always very, very different, you know. Exactly. So um, I love that. Uh, so I am actually, by nature, um, in, I don't know how to describe it, an intellectual itinerant, right? Or perhaps less grandiosely, maybe I'm, I'm just a dilettante, you know. I just like to dabble a little bit in this and that and the other. That's what I like, I like to do. So I suppose... There are a few different aspects of Bitcoin that, um, that I hope we can talk about today, right? But I'll, I'll, I'll start a little bit earlier. So um, I was a full-time academic in uh, 2014 um, when I sort of began this casual uh, romance with blockchains, right? Inspired by a colleague of mine who was really into it. And at that stage, my interest was, was sort of very, very cursory. It became a bit more sharp after 
um, February, I think, of that year when, when remember, the Mount, Mount Gox uh, debacle happened. But even then, you know, back then, my interest was totally on blockchains, right? Nothing to do, nothing to do with Bitcoin, even Ethereum for that reason, even though Ethereum tends to be the, <laughs> the, the, uh, the sweetheart of, of academics, if you've noticed, right? Yes. Uh, right? So um, it wasn't that, it was blockchains. And the reason for that was really because I saw it as this transformational technology that one could use to possibly reimagine institutions that we take for granted, like auctions and voting and stuff like that, right? Um, and uh, so it was, uh, and I'll say a little bit more about that, but I, I got more seriously interested in Bitcoin only uh, in the summer of 2016. Uh, and coincidentally, exactly at the time where I made this momentous decision in my life to, to stop being, uh, considering myself an academic and pursue a few other different projects in my life, uh, such as consulting, um, which I do for small businesses now, writing, uh, both fiction and nonfiction. Ooh, fascinating. Uh, yes. Book, and, and bookmark, we're going to dive into that later. All right. <laughs> uh, you asked for it. And then, and, and teaching, which I still love to do. So I teach at a local university at the business school there, and I teach a course on, on introductory economics at, at the MBA level. And I do that because I, I use um, the, the back half of that course to talk about Bitcoin economics specifically. Um, so, uh, which I, which I really like, and I really like teaching at this school because the school is one of the very rare schools in, in our country, uh, that is uncompromisingly devoted to providing a very affordable education, um, to, to its, to its students. So, so that's what I sort of do at the moment. So I've got my hands on all, the, all, all, all these different things. And the thing that I like about Bitcoin is that it is this, it matches well with my personality in the sense that. I look at Bitcoin as, as this ultimate sandbox, right? Where curious independent thinkers like you, me, and all these other independent thinkers that are out there on, on Bitcoin Twitter that approach it with completely different lenses, right? Um, philosophy, uh, philosophy, economics, and, and, and cryptography, of course, but also really interesting things like um, uh, like like paleoanthropology, right? And this is you just you don't and, psycho, and behavioral economics is all over the place. Psychology, for example, is, is all over the place, which I find very interesting. And that's what keeps me hooked on on Bitcoin. Um, Bitcoin for has since 2016, and I don't think that this is a, a, this is a love affair that's going to end. But also, so and and okay, so here's the first thing that I talk about in that, that I, that I, uh, that drew me to Bitcoin, right? The thing in economics that I studied was contract theory. And I, I don't know whether you know, and do you know much about contract theory? Uh, so contract no, theory, nothing, uh, nothing important. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I basic, basic idea. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So, so give us the overview. I, I assume right, that I, I'm I, probably, I'm probably in the same boat as most listeners at this point. So. All right, good. So I'll give you an overview. Right? So, so contract theory is this branch of economics which studies essentially with, with, with the theory of the firm, right? Um, this, the shape, size, and scope of the firm, essentially, right? But using contracts. So the theory, the, the idea is that a firm itself is a nexus of contracts, contracts with employees, contracts with suppliers, contracts with consumers, so on and so forth, right? So that's sort of the, 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 the 
starting point a bit. And then there are two types of contracts that broadly, there are two types of contracts in economics. There's, the, there's an incomplete contract, which is the one that we think of when we think of contracts units. For example, a contract that we might write with our builder when we're building a house. And it's called incomplete because it's characterized by, such a contract would be characterized by situations that are indescribable, right? So you don't know ex ante when you're signing the contract with your builder what everything is going to look like over the course of a year or two years as you're building the house. So there are indescribable outcomes or future states of a completion of the house that are indescribable upfront. Right? So that's the first aspect of an incomplete contract. And as a result of that, they become infeasible, uh, hard, but, but maybe even impossible uh, to have third-party verification, right? So because you've not been able to describe those, up, uh, those outcomes um, at the outset, you can't really have third-party verification play a very big role, right? So, okay. that's, uh, so that's, the, that's an incomplete contract. A contrast to this is a complete contract right at the other end of the spectrum. And a smart contract is a kind of a complete contract, so we can talk about that, right? But a complete contract essentially is an implementation that's very closely related to this whole area in economics called implementation theory or mechanism design. Right? So there was a Nobel Prize in 2007 given in this aspect of economics. And what is it? Well, the idea there is that, you know, you can sort of flip game theory on its head, right? Games are what? Games are where we're studying. We've got a game and we're seeing the strategies of players, how they play the game, right? Mechanism design or implementation is the opposite, where you're, you design the game because you have a particular social outcome in, in mind and you want that outcome to be achieved. So how would you design a game so that everybody plays it? Right? Everybody wants to play it and then everybody plays it and then that outcome is achieved. So that's mechanism design. Okay? And it's, it's a complete contract in this sense that, right, the, that the, the, all the outcomes are described Right? You know what's going to happen right? and, and before you've played the game. So an example of, of this is, right? it, can, it, it gets a bit abstract, so I'll give you a concrete example. The classic case of, of uh, dividing a cake in equitable halves. Right? Mm -hmm. So you want your, your, you've got two kids and you want them to, to both feel that they got their, their, the bigger half. <laughs> <laughs> so they were off, right? So what's the, what's the implementation there? You design the game for them. The outcome that you want as the designer of the game is that they they go away feeling happy, right? That they got what they wanted. Um, and what's the the way to achieve it? Well, you sit, you ask one of them, then you 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 cut the cake, and then the other one will get first picks, right? Um, and the uh, and and then you're hoping that both are satisfied, right? So that's an example, a very simple example of an implementation, it's a complete contract because you describe the outcome, you know the future state, and it's, it's verifiable that this is what's achieved. So that's the other end of it. Okay, vastly simplified this, this sort of uh, uh, setup, but this sort of covers the entire gamut of contracts that you can have. Sure. Okay. So this is what I was, this is where I was coming from, and, and then I came, came across Bitcoin, um, sorry, not, not Bitcoin, um, uh, Zabo's work on smart contracts. Still not Bitcoin, right? Zabo's work on smart contracts. So this is like still 2014, 2015. And then okay. you go, this is, a, this is a third type of contract that he's talking about because Zabo is not using the 
the terminology of complete and incomplete contracts, right? He's not looking at mechanism design or, or anything like, he's just talking about this thing. There's a computationally feasible contract that can be programmed and that's how it would work. And it's therefore it's complete in the sense that it can be programmed in time, right? And it can be of course made more and more abstract by, by as it has been done now um, by, by adding all kinds of interesting um, uh, aspects to it where there is a role for third parties so where you've got HDLC contracts on, on, on layer two, uh, you've got Taproot and all those sorts of things, right? That, that permit that smart contract to become more and more incomplete in a sense, right? Still nowhere near as incomplete as what that, that builder contract would have been. That's like massively incomplete. There's nothing like that that, on the, that you could do on a blockchain, for example, right? So, so this, is my, this was my interest. I'm like, oh, this is really cool. Okay, this is a really cool, but really cool um, uh, sort of example of mechanism design. Okay, so 40 years before, so do you know, um, uh, Brady, about the great socialist calculation debate? No, I don't. Okay, so, so, I'll, I'll, so uh, I'll start with that very quickly, yeah? So in, in, this was in, uh, because Austrian economics, <laughs> economics is so important to most of most Bitcoiners, I guess most people who are listening to this maybe know this, right? So I'm, I'll be brief. Uh, I am not an Austrian econ an economist by any stretch of the imagination, though I admire Hayek to death um, uh, and learned more about Austrian economics now than I did before, you know, studying economics at, at university. But the great socialist calculation, as is, as is always the case, <laughs> default Keynesianism, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, you have that phrase for it, right? What is it? Keynesian um, default Keynesianism. Default Keynesianism. There's, there's a lot of that happening in economics departments. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's amazing. It's like ninety. Seven plus percent, I think, uh, you know, right. just getting the Keynesian straight line Keynesianism and not even mentioning Austrian yeah. economics or the idea of sound money. Absolutely. You're in, and, and, you know, it's all across. So um, I was teaching my, my children economics for, for high school, right? Um, um, sort of the usual AP economics kind of stuff that, that kids do in high school. And you look at this curriculum and it's shocking how outdated it is, right? Even from the perspective of a mainstream econom economist, it's outdated stuff. And so, I mean, they're, you know, right, right from the very get-go, this, this, this is a problem. But that's a whole different issue. So, yeah. so back, back to what I was talking about. So, uh, yeah, the great socialist calculation debate was essentially this idea that we were talking about with the USSR was, uh, was talking about a central command economy, is it possible for um, prices to be, um, rather, than it, uh, rather than prices being organically discovered by markets, right, as Smith would have it, prices to actually be calculated. So hence calculation debate, right? And of course, Mises had this critique on socialism on the, on the base, uh, saying that, of course, it cannot be done. And then the, a very interesting debate ensued 20 years later, many years later, don't, don't, I don't know the dates very, um, offhand very well, but between Oscar Lang and, uh, and Hayek, Friedrich Hayek, uh, where Lang was saying that it is possible, right, that you don't need capitalism uh, to discover prices, and Hayek, of course, said, had that, that, the whole idea of distributed information, right, is be being absolutely necessary for uh, markets to work and for prices to be discovered. So distributed information is paramount, 
Right. So that was a great socialist calculation. And then in, from 1940, nothing really happened all the way to 1969, 1970, where, uh, where implementation theory or contract theory, right, sorry, this uh, uh, mechanism design theory that we were talking about earlier mm -hmm. uh, was discovered by uh, Hurwitz primarily, Leo Hurwitz, uh, but there were others there as well. And he said that, well, that's the problem here. You can actually design the game, make it incentive compatible for everybody to want to play it, right? Mm -hmm. And for organically information to be revealed within the, within, uh, by playing this game by, by their participants and for the desired outcome to be achieved, right? Okay. So he was, it was like this compromise that for the, uh, or for the great socialist calculation, not really a compromise, was very much in line with what, uh, with what um, uh, you would need in terms of uh, Hayek and Lang being able to talk the same language, where Hayek is saying you cannot get rid of, of, of distributed information if you want a market to work, and Lang saying that some calculation is possible so that it is actually possible for a designer to have an outcome. Mm -hmm. Does that sort of make sense? Absolutely, yeah. I'm following. Okay, so that's the great socialist calculation debate. All right, so I'm coming from that tradition of, of mechanism design, thinking all of this stuff. Then comes Bitcoin, all right? So now Bitcoin makes a lot of sense to me, right? Because I'm thinking, hang on, um, you know, I mean, there's been, there, first of all, really, it, was, it really baked my noodle that, that mm -hmm. for 40 years before the word blockchain became a mania, right? For 40 years before that, before Long Island iced tea, <laughs> Long Blockchain Corporation or whatever. Oh my God, that's crazy. <laughs> <Remember> that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The stock shot up just because they changed. They yeah, exactly. exactly. right? <laughs> so before that, the study of mechanism design and economics was already studying problems of dispersed information. Right, and it was all we're already using. What kind of mechanism can we design so that we would be able to uh, uh, to study things such as voting, trade, regulation, finance, monetary policy, land property rights, all of that sort of stuff. That blockchain somehow became the default thing to be applying to study that in in economics. You know, so yeah. for me then, so very large degree, there's no such thing as blockchain economics. Right, it without acknowledging at least without acknowledging the huge debt that it owes to mechanism design first, right? Mm -hmm. True. So that, so that was the, 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 the entry for me from my contract theory hat in economics to uh, starting to, to study Bitcoin. And then the epiphany, right? So I'm not one of those guys who can say, oh, I read, I read the white paper back when it was published. Right? No, I was really late. <laughs> late. <laughs> I read it in 2016. Oh, yeah. Well, people listening to this are going to laugh at the fact that you think you were late in 2016, right? And imagine, you know, people going into it five, ten years from now listening to this and be like, this guy, yeah, yeah. right? But it is Seven years. To be, to be sure, that it took me that long to get to the white I feel you. I feel you. I was tw early 2017, so I'm close. Oh, you were right. OG, yeah. OG in comparison. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, the, so the epiphany of reading the white paper to me was, that and I don't think in others or maybe others have had this opinion. I don't want to speak for others, but that, that it's rare. I think that the Bitcoin blockchain, as described by Satoshi, was meant as a implementation mechanism. Mm -hmm. So he's creating a game, like I'm talking about earlier. Right? Yes. He's, he's creating a game as an implementation, 
and for a design and, and a, the game needs to have a designer problem right the designer needs to have a problem what's the problem the problem is hard digitally native money right so that's sort of the, the, the social outcome that I want to achieve as a designer. What kind of game shall I make, uh, should I create, which, so that people will want to play, right? F freely revealing their preferences and information, right? Without corrupting that information for that to be played, for that game to be played, right? So, I'm, I'm, so, that, so I'm, uh, that, that was sort of my, my sort of uh, eureka moment in trying to trying to see okay wow this is this is completely um completely this is a massive uh, uh a sea change in the way of thinking about money yeah i think it's fascinating just to pause you right there because i think it's fascinating that you know all this academic debate happened uh to come back to the idea of money and its natural form which is a mechanism to allow this game to develop uh, w without suppressing information, right? I mean, that's the right. idea of the free market and it right. sort of naturally arises, uh, you know? And, and so, uh, yeah, we, um, we sort of lost the plot there for a while and, and got stuck in this sort of academic, uh, you know, entrenchment uh, that we could understand it better than this sort of natural, naturally occurring, uh, you know, yeah. mechanism. Yeah. Definitely, definitely, and 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 um, um, I'll add to that by saying that when we when we when we teach uh, or when we learn about what is money mm -hmm. in an economics textbook, we get the usual malarkey, right? Of what is money? Well, money must be a, a medium of exchange, unit of account, store of value, right? We get that, right? And we don't, we don't win. Oh, I. Didn't, I never thought of asking the, this question as an economic student or even teaching economics that, well, what's the order here? What, which comes before the other, right? Which one or does it matter which comes before the other, right? And it, it's, it was only after looking at Bitcoin more seriously, does it become clear which, the, what, what that progression is and how should it emerge organically with information being revealed in an incentive compatible way by people playing so what do i mean by that if, so when you've got a when you've got a mechanism right you've got a game uh, you implement such a mechanism you have that as a designer you may have a social outcome in mind but you cannot assume because you're not you're not a dictator right so this you're not forcing that outcome you're making people play that game and you're hoping that outcome is going to be the natural outcome of that game but it may not be so you can the problem could be one of multiple equilibria right so one equilibrium is the one that you want to have happen but you could have other equilibria occur as well and this is, is a known problem in, 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 in implementation theory. For decades, we know that this occurs. So this is exactly the same thing with Bitcoin as well, as far as I, as far as I see it, right? Um, I mean, how do we know? Uh, how did, uh, uh, we, uh, we like to ask this question a lot, right? What did Satoshi actually want for, uh, for Bitcoin? Did he mean it to be e-cash or e-money? Did he mean it to be store of value? This is, this is a garbage question to ask. If mm -hmm. you think that the designer's problem initially was, as I defined it, hard digitally native money, and the route that it took to getting there doesn't matter. So what I mean by that, mean by that what I mean by that is that in this game, you could have multiple sub-games, right? They're all nested within the game, 
right? Yes. Or subgame perfect equilibrium being the equilibrium being the one that we're, we're trying to achieve. Okay, so so and the benefit of, of playing this game in stages, right? So, so why four years, right? Why 210,000 blocks? Right? Why that number? Why must there be a reset? You know, what was it? Um, if you think like in, 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 in about the about why it should be, I mean, there are good cryptographic reasons for it, right? In terms of um, of information propagation and all that sort of stuff. But from this sort of grander uh, or uh, idea of why there should be those halvings, it makes a lot of sense because you've now nested the game and then you can sort of say, okay, the first stage that I will be playing will be establishing the uh, Bitcoin as a unit of account. Because right? that's the simplest hurdle to, to, to uh, especially uh, if it's a, especially especially if it's a if it's a if it's a blockchain right because that sort of if i just take erased everything and i say okay well look let's let's just define what the essential nature of a blockchain is this immutable ledger then that makes it a, a way of accounting transactions and hence that first bar is crossed of, of it being a unit yeah. right. okay. and that's that's right and then you progress and as you progress the the, the bitcoin blockchain gets stronger through participation, right? Meeting the participation constraints of a larger and larger set of people, right? They more and more people are now playing the game incentive compatibly. As more and more people pour in, it starts to become a medium of exchange across them, right? And as that, when that happens, and you sort of, we can argue about whether you like this idea or not. I know that I know that at least there are a couple of people I talk to often. There's a no store value from first, but. The way that I think about it is that it goes from unit of account, medium of exchange, store of, store, uh, store of value, and then this final, this nirvana stage, which I, which I call medium of specialization, which has never happened for, for, a, for a money before. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's sort of the opposite of what most people you know, talk about in the Bitcoin space, right? Yeah. Or value to yeah. medium of exchange to unit of account. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I'm thinking of it You're from talking a about within the game though is what you're talking about exactly within the game the sub the sub stages of the game right so it's not like you're 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 um side shifting one of these objectives for the other i'm just saying that as the game is played what is the lowest threshold to meet right mm -hmm. not that you're therefore abandoning the ultimate goal of the other all of them need to be met in order to achieve what the designer's original objective was which is the right. digital na native currency or digital digitally native money right that's that's always the goal but but these stages is what what's happening with every halving and halving is sort of this refreshing cycle we're saying okay it's like a check right you're saying okay i'm going to flush out those people whose incentives don't match anymore with this with with this objective and 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 and, and uh invite in those people who, 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 who now want to participate in this game voluntarily they'll share a different set of information right so different types of information they'll, and, and then they'll play this game out to the next, till the next equilibrium is achieved. And then till the final equilibrium, the medium of specialization idea is very simple. It comes from, it actually comes from this uh, distinction that Mises made between classes and costs, right? So he made this distinction in the basis that look, you're not going to completely get rid of um, uh, sort of distinctions of groups in society. Some are going to be rigid, which are costs, right? These are sort of, they're not fluid, right? Whereas classes are fluid groupings of people based on their 
on um, on their on their assets, right? They add the, the particular combination of assets that they possess, right? So that's that makes the, the asset classes, right? So they have their their the fluid groupings of individuals for these assets. So if you if you think of classes in that in 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 that way, then you you want asset ownership to be such that you can use them. You you can sort of make it extensible, right? Mm -hmm. So. Uh, I can add a few assets in order to do a particular task, get rid of some, some, some of those in order to do something else. Mm -hmm. So in a, a very elastic definition of what an asset is, that, that is something that I think is only possible when you are able to use a money that permits you to specialize in a continuous manner rather, rather than say, either or mm -hmm. right so this is I, 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 so what i'm having so specialization is such a, such an important part of, of economic theory right that specialization in exchange right over a particular task and you have a you have a particular comparative advantage you're doing some tasks so yep. so you, you specialize in those tasks so i mean this is sort of where markets work right this is just this is just econ 101 you just need to know this right um but what if it, it were we're living in if in, in the digital world i think this changes in the sense that for, you you have avatars that are for different purposes essentially and you would you would need to have each avatar would need to have different levels of um asset ownership in order to engage in that particular task and for and therefore for each of that task you need to have a a, a money that is equally uh, uh, elastic in its definition permits that elasticity, right? And that only happens if you've got self-sovereignty, complete self-sovereignty, such that you are able to 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 to, to you know um, get into a um, um, in, into a contract with someone else uh, where you are part of a very very large group of people, and then mm -hmm. another one where you're sort of you know not you're sort of it's just you and someone else, right? Very yeah. simple. And this so is that, why we this is why we call Bitcoin the best money ever created, right? I mean, it's it's absolutely. the only money that can fit that like a glove, um, and it's you know kind of drawing back to Hayek and what I was saying uh, before is Bitcoin is a mechanism to kind of reinstate natural money in a world where the game has become so distorted, right? It's sort of yeah. it's Hayek's sort of roundabout way to take back the money, and it's not just that it's it's a almost perfect form of money. Yes. Uh, at least, you know, that, like you said, it, it's continuous uh, almost yes. in a perfect way. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I mean, th th this degree of, of, of uh, um, uh, I mean, uh, without, without um, you know, going completely off the top in, in appreciation for Bitcoin, which, which uh, uh, there's nothing, as, there's nothing that has permitted us, uh, that permits us to, uh, to use money in this manner before. Mm -hmm. Right. So to e to even compare it loosely to gold is actually is, uh, it, uh, I, it actually wins at that comparison, right? Mm -hmm. Because there is no way to use gold as a medium of specialization. There's just no way to do it, yes. right? There, because there is no uh, there is no relation between any existing type of money and a complete ownership over yourself in such a manner that you make your identity an elastic asset. You just, there's just no way to do that, right? Your identity is not given by, uh, by uh, 
in, in that in that loose manner. You just don't have that that flexibility which Bitcoin gives you. So the kinds of economic um, transformations that we will be able to see in the future are with a, a money that is that perfect are is not is, is not imaginable. Right? At least I can't imagine them very well sitting here and sitting now. In, in the long run, this could just you know. Uh, be well past our imagination. I uh, loosely call it the Bitcoin Renaissance, <laughs> and we yes. I don't, we don't know exactly what's going to look like, but I, it seems uh, something that's going to be beyond our uh, comprehension in a very positive way. Yeah. Uh, so this leads into one of my favorite pieces that you wrote, uh, and I yeah. will link to Pratik's uh, Medium. There's, you know, his writing is so good, uh, and I I just I love it personally. And if you haven't read it, and it's completely underread and Pratik's underfollowed on Bitcoin. So you need to get in here and read some of this stuff. I know a lot of my listeners are avid readers, Robert Breedlove, you know, Brandon Quidham, Gigi, all of you guys who love great writing will love his writing. So it gets in, this conversation leads in to a piece called the Bitcoin Village Commons. Uh, so let's dive into, into that piece and the ideas and uh, contained therein. I don't know. What did I write? <laughs> oh, yeah. This, is, this was uh, last, so yeah, about a year ago. Um, but the, I'll, I'll just read the uh, sort of the, the introduction here, and that should jog your memory, I hope. Uh, All right. Bitcoin is a meta technology. Moreover, it is a rare meta technology because it directly enables the creation of semi commons, much like it was with medieval village commons. The Bitcoin village commons simultaneously curates rules for an overarching open access commons as well as those for private use cases within semi-commons. The former fuels the search of technological developments beyond blockchains. The latter fuels the search for uses beyond money. Right. Right. So, I mean, uh, the, uh, the idea of a, of, you know, of a village commons, obviously, is that, you know, one, we, we, create, we are creating... The village commons is the you know the, the, is where the the classic tragedy of the commons is derived from. When right? you've, mm -hmm. you've got a village and you've got a commons that farmers are sharing, um, and then you've got this uh, the, the the tragedy of the commons comes from the idea that each uh, each um, shepherd has got a, the individual incentive to increase the size of his herd because he's able to externalize the cost of um, um, uh, of actually feeding the uh, the marginal addition to his herd um, on the rest of the uh, village because they're all grazing on this common right so uh, he the it's essentially public access to the village commons but the resource in there is a private resource which is grass right so that's the village and the tragedy of the commons is that you will keep have you keep increasing the size of your herd till there's open grazing in in the in the commons of the village and it's destroyed right so that's the idea mm -hmm. um the the notion of a of a semi commons is is that you could gate the commons right you could have you could uh, you could regulate access to that commons Right, uh, you, and, and that regulation could be of a, of a very overbearing sort of a, a leviathan uh, uh, could be standing there like a government with a gun, right, uh, at, at the entrance of, of, of the village commons and, and, and charge arbitrarily for access to the commons, right? It could make it actually prohibitively expensive to enter the commons, right, in which case the commons just gets, you can imagine, right, you can imagine the commons just having an overgrown, overgrown grass everywhere, um, uh, so that could be the complete opposite of the tragedy of the commons, which is the which is the dual of the tragedy of the commons. I mean, that doesn't get talked about very much, right? We keep we, everybody knows the tragedy of the commons, 
right? That, oh, we will deplete our resources. Uh, but the, the opposite, that the problem that comes from over-regulating the commons, that we don't use it, and therefore we don't add to this to the to the herd um, individually, the farmers don't have any incentive to adding to their herd, and therefore to the detriment of the of the um, uh, development of the entire village, right? Is this other problem of overregulation? So to, to so the thing that about Bitcoin as a money, especially, is that it strikes a balance between those two, right? Regulation is organic in Bitcoin, right? So there is there is no there, there is no um, fear of having of arbitrary regulation to the commons. The commons it's, it's itself in, in, in this case is the benefit of money that we get from Bitcoin, the kind of the, be, the public benefits of money, those you can write to be, which we can commonly share without knowing each other. Those are the public benefits of Bitcoin, much like the grass on that, on that field. It's limited, right? Just like the grass is limited, so is the, 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 the number of Bitcoins are limited in that sense, right? So it's, it's, so it's limited, but yet regulation isn't arbitrary. So we get this efficient regulation um, uh, organically emerging in Bitcoin, uh, which, is, which is something which is very unique uh, between, um, in, in, in assets generally, in public assets generally. And in money, it doesn't exist. I cannot think of a money that has that, that, that feature uh, where it isn't either arbitrarily reg regulated by central banks uh, or uh, not regulated at all and it's just sort of a free-for-all right mm -hmm. so uh, so so that so that's a very interesting aspect of Bitcoin which which, uh, which I admire very much um, as something genuinely unique and to the benefit of the flood of, of social flourishing right which is an important point I think the long-run social flourishing, which makes, which, which also isn't it very, very cynical to be to be criticizing Bitcoin on its sustainability issues, mm -hmm. right? That um, oh well, is this sustainable? The amount of energy we use, blah blah blah, because we are not looking at the long-run benefits that accrue to society from having established an infrastructure in the present for that kind of commons to exist at all, right? Which is which is. Um, which is something I think about often when I think about Bitcoin and and uh, and its end states that for for social flourishing uh, generally. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, I yeah maybe, maybe I'm, I haven't read in a very long time, so maybe I'm not really uh, engaging to your. Uh, no, you are. You've yeah. summed up the first half of the article <laughs> very well. And, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the second half gets into, and this is why I brought it up at this point in the conversation, because we were talking about, you know, Bitcoin's uh, a potential future in a Bitcoin world. And uh, the second half of the article is, is about, you know, lessons for the future, the de uh, despoiling the commons. Um, oh, yes. Right. And uh, so you kind of contrast the examples of the village commons, the anti-commons, the semi-commons, and you know the village, the tragedy of the village commons that you just described, with what you call the Bitcoin village commons, and kind of some similarities between them. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I haven't read in a while. I don't really know what else I can add to it. But yeah, I mean, I, if it spoke to you, I'm glad. <laughs> yeah, it, it absolutely did. It was great. Uh, okay. So, so read that piece. I mean, I'll just read these these one, two, three to kind of sum it up. Um, 
So he, Pratik writes, contrasting this to the Bitcoin village commons, we might note that there are some similarities, such as one, market-based rules for purchasing Bitcoins and thereby for gaining access to its semi-commons, such as the Lightning Network, which I think is a great example. Mm -hmm. uh, two, rules for providing resources to cultivate or mine Bitcoins, essentially providing a boundary-gated commons for the Bitcoin village commons. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, and peer review consensus rules for contributing to the code base, which is another great example. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, I, 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 I do remember having this, this, uh, this idea of, um, uh, of, of looking at the open field system. Wasn't that was in this article, right? Yes. Yeah. The open field system. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's been a while. And so maybe I'll read it and I'll get back to you if you want me to talk about talk more about it. But sorry, I didn't know that you wanted to talk about this one. I should have given you a heads up. I should have been like, yeah. critique, reread it's your right. stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, I've been more I've, lately. At, uh, I mean, the most, this has been uh, the thing that I've been thinking about most um, uh, more recently is this idea of cycles in Bitcoin. So I, I guess that's been sort of front and center in my mind. But but yeah, I sort of jump around in a lot in my thinking about Bitcoin, right? But moral philosophy, religion, um, all kinds of different things. And so it's sort of hard to keep track. So sorry about that. That's totally <laughs> fine. What about the cycle stuff for you, if you're interested? Yes, I do want to get into that. You're, you're, it's okay that you're you know offloading some of this out of your RAM and committing it to a hard disk. And, yes. you know, like you've, you have it recorded here for posterity uh here on medium so um, yeah well okay i would love to talk about price cycles um i do want to mention kind of circling back to the contract conversation we had uh toward the at the opening of the of the podcast mm -hmm. um you wrote an uh, a very interesting sort of uh a map uh or a uh what's what's a good word for it it's almost like a a, a white paper in and of itself for you know how we could organize contract law in a Bitcoin world. You wrote that with Parabolic Trav. Yes, yes, yes. This is a fascinating one. It was from 2017. This is the article that put you on my radar. And, yes. you know, I've been following you since then. So oh. anyway, just encourage uh, people to go back and take a look at that because there are so many good ideas there that I think will become you know, very useful in a future, near future, hopefully, where smart contracts uh, being written on, on Bitcoin and kind of moving the financial system over to Bitcoin, uh, they right. will become, those thoughts will become very useful. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I hope so, Brady. I really hope that the idea of Bitcoin as a, as a contracting platform, right, which is essentially the thrust of that, that piece with, with Trav, um, is something that, that I, I just don't. I just don't see it not happening. As a matter of fact, it already is happening. But the the uh, the amount of the num the amount of innovation that has happened in the types of contracts that are re now representable on uh, Bitcoin on the Bitcoin blockchain now in 2020 compared to when I got interested in Bitcoin in 2016 is an order of magnitude higher, right? In terms of the uh, and and and. So smart contracts is, of course, is, is just sort of, is sort of a catch-all, right? But there, there are so many different types of them. There are HDLCs within it and discrete log contracts and you know, script scripts and all kinds of different sorts of things that are happening in there, but some of them are well beyond my understanding. There's so much stuff that's happening there. But what, when, I, when I'm, because I don't, because I'm not a cryptographer, I don't understand the tech side of it, 
But when I'm reading them, right, about what they're trying to do, I'm trying to, uh, to create anal analogies back to where they would fit in this continuum of incomplete contracts to complete contracts. And the good thing is that you see them fitting all over the place between them. And that's what you need, right? You need them to be, you need, a, we need a variety of contracts, which will then permit us to move um, uh, financial transactions or more and more types of transactions in a meaningful way to Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. I just want to say one thing that is, it may be a complete non sequitur because it's got literally nothing, but I want to talk, I want to just very quickly talk about why I think that it makes sense to be studying Bitcoin alone and not anything else around it. Um, uh, and because people have, people have different reasons for why they think, right, Bitcoin maximism or, is, 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 or Bitcoin rationalism, whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. is, is, makes sense. To me, it makes sense for a very, very simple reason, which is uh, that of uh, the law of rent, right, Ricardian rent. Do you know what that is? I mean, the, the, mm -hmm. if, right, it makes sense to me to look at Bitcoin as a land grab, mm -hmm. um, right, because the the recording rent, for, for those of your listeners who don't are not familiar with the term, is the, is the idea that there is an economic advantage that you get from a given piece of land, right, that is higher than you would get for using the uh, land that is sort of adjacent to it, right, Mar so the margins of this land. For exactly the same thing. So imagine building a skyscraper um, in one area of New York, and then uh, you know exactly the same same skyscraper, just two blocks over on a different piece of land. But it happens to be in a different sort of area. It's not just. It's never going to have the same value. The difference between that value is the Ricardian rent of having that build of having that building. Now, if you know that you've got this building in this particular piece of land. Right? The resources that you are now spending over and above the economic value of that of that building that you've now created in that in that other part, the undesirable part, right, is waste of resources. Right? Mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense, right? Yes. So, and, and when you're trying, so it makes a lot more sense to be building up this building, right, rather than trying to to emulate building that building in, in that other part of town just because you want it to look like this one. It's almost foolish to be to be doing that sort of thing. Are you talking about wrapped BTC critique? <laughs> <laughs> no comment. <laughs> I mean, that's like a very direct example, but I get the analogy right. to you know the rest of of cryptocurrencies as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, well, let's get into the cycle stuff. Um, yeah. Okay. I know that you you and Trav love to talk about this stuff. I'm in a Discord group with you guys. Yeah. And, it's yeah, fun to, me, to watch you guys go back and forth. Yeah, he put me onto it. He was, he was saying that, oh, you know, you should look at kitchen cycles. I'm like, oh, I've never heard of kitchen cycles. Like, no, go look it up. I'm like, all right, fine, go look it up. And he's got, so essentially, uh, so I had to do some digging up in like what kitchen cycles are and how they're relevant to Bitcoin. But they are relevant, right? So Bitcoin is definitely a story of cycles, 100%. We've already talked about that implementation and then those stages, right, of, of stages of money with the final design. Right? So that's already a cycle there. But there's an even there's much more empirically when, when when you do the econometric work on this it's it's even more obvious right so if you do the spectral density analysis of, of bitcoin's price over time you what see is spectral density analysis so it gives you periodicity in the data so in time series mm -hmm. it'll give you how much period what is the 
is there a periodic element in, in a time in a time series? Is that what Plan B is doing with his, you know, uh, stock to flow no, cross he, asset no. thing? No, he's not looking at he's not looking at periods. He's looking he's he's not he's looking at co-integration of price of, of Bitcoin price with the stock to flow ratio, right? The, this, but he's not looking. Right, at but periods. have you have you seen the uh, the cross asset model that he came out with? Yes, uh, yes, to yes. effect on right. Yeah, there yes. he's talking about phases. That's yes, yeah. yes, 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 yes. Um, but again, not an organic thing coming out of the time series itself. He's okay. he's. He's saying that these are phases, and he's got a very, very valid and interesting point there as to what those phases will look like and what's sort of you know the impetus in each phase. Very gotcha. interesting. But but say that I don't have a subjective bias at all, right? I'm just completely objectively looking at, at the data, and I'm saying, is there a um, oh, uh, what's it called a period, like a cycle? And you actually find it. You don't have to look hard. You don't have to add anything. It just you see that about 1.8 to two years, there's this there's a there's a cycle in the in the price data, right? Mm-hmm. So, so it's now incumbent upon you to ex- to have an explanation for why there is once a cycle like that, right? I don't have a very good explanation for it, but there, but the fact remains that it is there. Whether I can explain it or not is irrelevant. It's there, right? So anyway, so where, where, what about these cycles? So, so Schumpeter in in um, uh, in in late in the late thirties. He wrote a book in which he spoke about cycles. And very briefly, the idea was that these cycles are motivated by um, sort of the, this, this interplay between uh, the fact that, between innovation and entrepreneurship. And he observed that there, the fact that innovations tend to sort of cluster around right, one another. And because they do that, right, they, they exert differential pressures on different variables in, of economic activity. Right, uh, and, and and entrepreneurs, according to their ability, are going to try to leverage these 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 pressures that, that, that innovation is creating on different um, aspects of economic activity. They're going to try to leverage it. Some will be better off, better than others at doing it, and that's why entrepreneurship is relevant. Right. So that's sort of his framework for why innovation and entrepreneurship work together. So why cycles? Cycles come from this fact that innovations are happening in cycles. They're clumping together and they're, having, and they're going on in cycles. Okay? And for him, the longest one of these or the most famous one that everybody sort of, I think, knows is this, the Kondratiev wave, which was this long cycle of 50 years, right? Roughly 50 years is what he was talking about, as this Kondratiev wave. And then below the Kondratiev wave was the Juglar wave, right? And Jugler wave, I think, was, was a wave that um, sort of spanned eight to 10 years, something like mm-hmm. that, if I remember exactly, but something like that, eight to 10 years. And then below that is the, is the, is the kitchen cycle, or the cycle that Travis talked, was, was talking to me about, which was roughly four years. Cool. So four years, of course, is, is, is a sacred number in, in, in Bitcoin. And so what's the kitchen cycle? It's got, really, it's got to do very much with inventory management. Right, um, so uh, so that put me onto this idea of okay, well, look, there is this, there is this cycle, there is this, uh, this established cycle that people talk about that might pertain to inventories. Um, how can we look at, at this um, in, in in the context of Bitcoin? So, by the way, from th- from the nineteen thirties to now, all of this went out of favor. All the cycles that all all mainstream eco- economists uh, did the econometric work. Right, not that they were biased or anything. Did the economic ones? It doesn't show up in the data. It's all rubbish. There's no such cycle in play. There's no there's no such cycle that is as regular as computer. Mm-hmm. But 
the, the thing that is interesting and, and unique about Bitcoin that we tend to miss is that Bitcoin imposes a structure. You don't have two ways about it. You have to play the game by its rule. Mm-hmm. We don't, which is different to a regular market. Remember, remember that, that, that we're in a mechanism design that Satoshi created. So we have to play those rules, right? And, and from, so that structure imposes a certain amount of rigidity that no amount of, of um, um, which sort of interacts with our incentives. And then we, that interplay then creates certain effects. And, and the way to look at that, I thought, was to look at a cobweb supply model. And the idea of a cobweb supply model, it's, it's, really, it's really, really nice. Once you, once you look at it and you're like, oh yeah, of course that's what's going on over here. Um, so uh, the, a cobweb supply model was created for commodities. Okay. Um, it, uh, it was spotted in, early, in the early 1930s by Calor in the context of the sugar market and others in the context of other commodities, the hog market, Right and uh, metals, okay, um, and it, so so it sort of um, in, it was developed for the idea of, for, for commodities. And the idea is very simple. The idea is that there is some prevailing market price which inspires suppliers to produce um, a particular quantity, but this is going to be a lag. There's a lag that it, that you can't get you know can't get out of between between production and that and and that price that is prevalent in the market. Um, and so you produce, you produce too much, right? which serves to depress the price and the price then falls. Right? And when it falls and you produce too little, right? when, it, when you produce too little, price then rises. Right? When the price is higher, then you're next period you're producing too much. So you sort of keep playing this game. And hence, you, if, you, if you draw this out on, on a demand and supply diagram, you convince yourself that you will you sort of you know, bang around from the supply curve to the demand curve to the supply curve to the demand curve, and you'll create a web. It'll look like a web, okay? And, and the web could be explosive, as in you could go, um, up, you know, the price could keep going up uh, faster and faster. Because sort of the, the cobweb could be sort of, if you can, if you imagine, built outwards, right? It'll keep going explosive. Or conversely, it could be built inwards and could converge to a price. Right. Okay. So this is this is essentially the idea of the cobweb, uh, and and what is determining whether it's built outwards or built inwards? Nothing but the relative elasticity of demand and supply. Right. Okay. So if supply becomes more inelastic than demand, you get you have explosive growth. If supply becomes uh, less elastic than demand, uh, then you get conversion growth. Right. Mm-hmm. Simple. Now the long term story is clear, right? You mean, why are you talking about this? But we know that the long term, it's the supply curves is a straight line. So that's it, right? But actually, that's not it, right? Because it, the, in the short run, um, we do have variance, right? I mean, if you look at the stock to flow model of Plan B, right? I mean, these got huge confidence bands around the the price, right? Which mm-hmm. permits the price to have a lot of variance, and there is indeed a lot of volatility. So, so. The cobweb supply model is a good way to, to try to understand where that where volatility is coming from and how, by looking at Bitcoin as a commodity, you are able to apply this lag between production and um, uh, that, that uh, of, of, a, of a good and the prevalent price in the market. 
right? Mm -hmm. And we know this, right? We know this intuitively, as I'm saying this, you're thinking, yeah, the amount of network hash power that's deployed and how, how difficulty adjusts with that, and, mm -hmm. right? We know this. We know uh, we, we, there are all kinds of metrics out there for, for miners on, on their cache conversion cycle or, or the generation versus the first spend, right? That, that, there's, a, there's a great chart out there on one of the websites on generation versus first spend, right? Uh, and we and that's exactly showing this idea, right? Because if first spend is higher than, than generation, then you know that 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 they're drawing down inventory, or uh, and conversely, if it's the other case, then inventories are building up, right? Um, and cash conversion cycles got to, is related to the amount of of um, uh, if you need to build up inventories for sale, right? Then the cash conversion cycle is how long does it take for for you to run run out of your cash, right? Right. To convert cash into inventory, right? How long did, does it take you to run out of cash? Uh, so, so those sort of cycles are things that miners are are are, are very aware of right. um, when they're when they're thinking of how to plan inventory. So the long term story, Brady, is is stock to flow. Sure. The short term story, however, is inventory to sales. Right, which is exactly the same thing. Inventory to sales, inventory is a stock and sales is a flow. Just like the long term, you've got a stock and a flow. The short term stories in inventory to sales, which sort of goes along with, with mm -hmm. the common uh, Which is very interesting, I think. And then you ally that to the idea of a reservation demand. A reservation demand, so, so is the, is where, which side do miners appear on? Supply or demand? Well, you would think that, well, they're sort of mining Bitcoin, so the suppliers aren't they? Well, yeah, but they're also reserving the, a, a part of, the, of, the, of what they mine, mm -hmm. of their block reward. And to the extent that that changes, uh, they have a reservation demand. Reservation demand is the demand that the supplier has for his own goods, just mm -hmm. like the, the producers might have. And we know this sort of thing is very important. And right now, with this whole pandemic, we sort of see the stories of how, uh, you know, to, uh, what was it, a few, just a week or two ago, 200,000 pigs were killed um, by farmers because there was nobody to buy them, milk was thrown, right? So there was excess inventory built up because of a particular price that they were expecting or the contract of a particular length that they were signed up to. Mm -hmm. so, so they were so they're managing their inventory to sales ratio by destroying it, by destroying what they had that produced. So that sort of cycle is a very interesting thing and relates really well back to cycles that you see in paleoanthropology with gold. So this is very interesting, right? Um, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is a paper that maybe I should send over to, your, to you so maybe you can think whether your, your uh, listeners would be interested in reading. But the whole idea that, that is made in that paper is that gold was used as for in a cycle of concentration to circulation. So the, the idea is that when you're, when you're trying to build up a social hierarchy or your kingdom or indeed a state, there are periods where you will concentrate holdings of your money, of the good money, and periods where you will circulate it, in or, in, right? So, and this transmutability between concentration to circulation is all happening in the pursuit of power, 
You sure. concentrated in the pursuit of power. You circulated into by obedience for with your power, right? So this is the sort of this concentration circulation thing with, which was with, 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 that was happening with coal. That cycle in with in concent- of concentration and circulation, right? Which we sort of don't think about when we think about money. That concentration circulation cycle is something that Bitcoin does organically. There is no but he's sitting up there on top who's deciding, oh, there should be X concentration and X circulation happening or Y circulation happening right now. And that's going to be, you know, accretive to the benefit of someone else. <laughs> it yeah. is what it is, right? There is a structure. We are playing it. At times it'll be concentrated. At times there'll be, there'll be more circulation. Right? And we're clearly on a circulation period right now. <laughs> right now. Yes, exactly. exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. So what, is, what do you think then the implications are for this next price cycle, the one you know, that we're in the midst of right now in the next couple of years? I think that we're, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm terrible at price prediction. You know, I like to do TA only because I like to see how each, how each leg of this is all working with my, with my, with my econometric side of stuff, right? So, yeah. um, so which but, models do you like kind of gravitate toward, I guess? Cobweb. I think Cobweb works really well. I think I might have a a, a, uh, um, a trading view chart on my Twitter feed where I've suppressed the price axis because it's just stupid if you have the price axis there. But if you, <laughs> <laughs> but if you, if you look at that chart, you'll see what I mean. Because it's all of the stuff that I just explained on Cobweb supply and reservation man, you know, that sort of stuff. It works so nicely with those cycles that we've seen so far. Okay. In, in Bitcoin. And then, of course, I keep thinking back to each of these cycles playing in that grand mechanism design that Nakamoto has, has created for us, where we're moving, inching forward, uh, step by step towards this, you know, the ultimate goal of a hard digitally native hard money or hard money, right? By going through these cycles of unit of account, medium of exchange, store of value. I mean, all the work that's happening with privacy right now in this space is proof positive in my mind that we're moving from uh, towards medium of specialization and on route right now building store of value. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's if, if, in a very, very broad high level way. I think that's really where we are right now. We're building this equilibrium. We're in the game of store of, store of value. Medium of exchange is long gone, right? We're building the store of value thing which will permit us to have medium of specialization. Once that's happened, game over, because mm-hmm. then it becomes, an uns, you know, just like Pandora's box is open. You can then, the whole idea of government regulation is this, you know, Achilles heel. It, it isn't anymore because at that time it becomes, serves a completely different uh, role in, in, in economic activity. It what is so enmeshed with your identity that is hard yeah. to separate. Yes. Yeah. Weirdly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, so I'm curious then how the kind of the timeline that you have in your head, everybody sort of has their timeline that they've settled on through gathering as much information as possible and synthesizing that and sort of saying like, okay, it's going to be five years, 10 years, 15, 20 oh. years. Um, do you, has that changed for you over the past few months given, you know, monetary circumstances yeah yeah <laughs> you know I'll, I'll i'll give you a trite answer to that question you know the uh uh the greek virtue 
of sofrutin. I, I, I don't know, there's somebody in your, from your, your listeners might be Greek and they're like, well, I'll stop butchering the word. But the, the word sofrutin, I just love that word. It's, it, sofrutin is a virtue, right? It's a virtue where you've got this ideal balance of the mind, right? It's like Zen, complete ideal balance of the mind. Okay. So when you start your journey in Bitcoin, you have zero sovereignty. Okay. <laughs> balance of the mind. Yeah. There is this, and sovereignty and has all these other aspects that are related to the definition of risk, by the way. Okay. Like the first derivative of the utility function, second derivative. So, the, so you've, got, you've got a risk aversion and you've got risk preference if you've got a convex uh, utility function. For, uh, for wealth. Um, and then there's a third derivative, you've got something called prudence, right? And the, I, the definition of prudence is the accumulation of wealth in the face of systemic risk. Okay. That's literally the definition of prudence, right? Mm-hmm. The accumulation of wealth in the face of risk. And I think you, and uh, so that's the economics of it, right? The economics of risk. So I've seen, it, um, it, the virtue of Sofrasin, encapsulates prudence as one of its virtues, of its sub-virtues. Okay. So I think hodling, right, the idea of hodling, that idea of having, um, uh, of, of having the ideal time preference, developing that, right, uh, all of that I think is not just garbage talk. I really think it is in, inherent in uh, to Bitcoin. It's inherent to Bitcoin. Um, it's inherent to this idea of cycles playing out. It's in, it's, so it's, 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 in, it's vital for you to wait for those cycles to play out. And mm-hmm. while you wait, it's, in, it's, it's vital for you to have prudence, right? And, it's, and, and, and prudence means avoiding systemic risk. And we know where those systemic risks are coming out, right? Don't need to spell them out to you of all people as where those systemic risks are coming um, from mm-hmm. to us. So... Um, so yeah, I mean, my answer to this is, you know, I'm going, I'm going, I, dev- I try to devote as much attention on developing that virtue of of surfacing, and you know, I'm going to accumulate meanwhile. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, and I have, I don't mind waiting for a while. I don't think that this is a short term thing anyway. My 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 uh, gut feeling is that we should be talking in terms of you know. Uh, decades rather than mere years. Uh, sure. I'm not saying that prices are not going, and prices will be all over the place, right? That's the interesting thing. Yeah, have you noticed this, right? That Bitcoin has massive volatility as one of its characteristics, right? Mm-hmm. In price, but it has almost this serene steadiness in a great many of its other characteristic variables, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you forget price, for example, you just pick up, say, uh, difficulty or hash rate or you know one of those <laughs> right. um, block, block times block times block times is, is, the, is much better than, than the others right? you just see this it just keeps going and and that is software scene for you right you know, because mm-hmm. you it price is irrelevant you just see this going and and I, uh, I quite like that I quite like that about Bitcoin so I think I'm, I'm quite happy to stay here for a long time <laughs> <laughs> it's fine <laughs> I hear that, man. TikTok next block, as I, I like to say, it's uh, yeah. Bitcoin's a beautiful, a beautiful clock of of, of value, um, of time, and 
you know, of, uh, of virtue, I would say as well. Yes, yes, it is. Yes. I mean, uh, this, uh, this, uh, this uh, time preference thing is, I tell you, it's really true because, you know, I've become a lot less um, frivolous in things that I spend my money on, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I think about it more. Yes. Uh, things, you know, and, th- and even when I don't have to, I think about it more. It's just become habit. Yes. Right? Right? It just be- and, and, and I don't think that you get that habit um, easily. Some, for some people, it comes very easily. Yes. Um, some people, some people are just born that way, but I'm not, I was not born. Like that. I'm, I'm, you know, I just love spending. Right. Yes, um, I'm, not, I'm in your camp. <laughs> yeah. But I think once, uh, what sort of, uh, going through the, going, going into this rabbit hole, of Bitcoin, it, it just sort of puts that discipline uh, for me. It definitely has, has given more of that discipline to, you know, well, would you rather be doing this or would you rather be, you know, and it's not just about stacking sats. Of course it is that, but it's also about, you know, how you spend time on, on doing other things. You know, would you rather watch Netflix or read another paper or something, you know, yeah. and, and not spend just time, directly. spend time with your children. Yeah, <laughs> you <know? exactly. laughs> yeah. Definitely. it makes you recognize scarcity. And this is actually with father's day. I sort of got inspired uh, in sentimental and posted, you know, tweet about how, you know, we talk a lot about scarcity on Bitcoin Twitter and, uh, you know, our life is scarce, our time is scarce, but, you know, even more scarce than that is the, you know, subset of time that we get to spend with our children when they're young. Um, and you know, my kids are five and nine right now. And, and, uh, so I'm sort of in the midst of it. I'm just really in my my nine-year-old daughter's sort of on the precipice of, you know, kind of moving away from needing care from, from us and, and moving more into the realm of like, you know, spending time with, with friends and getting more uh, influence from friends and, and guidance from friends. Uh, right. So it just, it's such a short time uh, that you can right. have with, with them as children. And uh, yes. so, yeah, I mean, it's as a parent, I, I sort of, I mean, I had that notion before Bitcoin, of course, that, you know, to appreciate, right. to, to be present, you know, for my children's childhoods, but um, I don't know. It, just it was makes just it keener, right? It just makes reinforced. It, yeah. 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 It keeps Absolutely. making you focus on put your, putting your focus on time. Yeah, that's very. It's very true. It is true. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation, Pratik. I'm really glad to uh, have the so opportunity. I'm so honored that you let me speak to you. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, I mean, I I'm surprised that we hadn't done it sooner. Um, yeah. And you know, I really appreciate your thoughts and writing and really happy to have had you on the podcast. And I hope some other Bitcoin podcast. I don't remember what I had written, but yeah, (laughs) (laughs) that's quite all right. I mean, that's actually a a sign of a, of a, you know, a brain that is, uh, you know, full of thought and moving, moving from one thing to the next. And that's okay. (laughs) And that's, that's great too. It's, it shows, you know, like uh, you read Zabo's blog and it's just all over the place. It's, you know, yeah. Oh, it's brilliant. Isn't it? That's the thing. I think Bitcoin breeds polymaths, right? Nice. Yeah, I think it does. I mean, and that's what I like about Sabo so much. I mean, just br- brilliant flexibility of mind. It certainly attracts polymaths. And I do think you're right that it breeds polymaths too, because it's, you know, look at all of us on, on big, uh, you know, hodlers and Bitcoiners, how much we've learned uh, yes. about different subjects that I would, you never would have delved into, dived into. Right. Um, right. And, you know, I was, uh, saying that uh, I've said this before on Twitter too that I didn't realize I was so intellectually bored until I found Bitcoin. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? yeah. right. So yeah. Anyway, thank you again for your time, and uh, it was. You oh, know, okay, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah.
Thanks to Pratik for joining me. You can find him on Twitter at Gurha, at G-O-O-R-H-A, and I'm at Citizen Bitcoin on Bitcoin Twitter. The podcast website is citizenbitcoin.world. Share this one with your family and friends. Share it out on Twitter with your fellow Bitcoiners. The bull is incoming. We can all feel it. It's time to get hyped and get your friends and family educated. You should also get them stacking with Swan Bitcoin at swanbitcoin.com slash Brady. Also, thank you to the Let's Talk Bitcoin Network for including the Citizen Bitcoin podcast in their feed. Check out my merch shop at layer1btc.com. Click on partners and then Citizen Bitcoin. Cool stuff there to check out, including some OPSEC friendly gear. Purchases do support this podcast. And check out the podcast I've created for Swan, the Swan Signal podcast. It's an audio archive of our weekly Swan Signal live broadcasts. It's a pair of Bitcoiners getting together for some unique, awesome discussions. You can subscribe at swansignalpodcast.com. Add it to your rotation. If you have any questions for me, please feel free to reach out. My DMs are open on Twitter and I'm at Citizen Bitcoin on Telegram. All right, that's it for this week. Take care out there, Bitcoiners, wherever you happen to be in the world.